Acts chapter 1. In verse 1 it says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of him, them, forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom for Israel, or to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they stood steadfastly, uh, while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And we'll stop right there. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this time to gather together. Holy Spirit, we trust that you'll be our special guest. I pray that as the Word of God is proclaimed, dear Father, you'll help us to see its truth. And may it have an impact on our life, what we believe, and how we act. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this ability to assemble together. As we get to come to a church, a called out assembly and meet together as brothers and sisters in Christ. So speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit, through your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. This is an amazing story about Jesus Christ meeting with his disciples after the resurrection. You're going to see that taking place in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, you're going to see that He again gives a commission to his disciples. The great commission is given in all the four Gospels and in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Interesting enough, uh, every one of them are stated in a different way. Now what that shows us is that Jesus was very repetitious about the great commission. He wanted to say it so that everyone could understand it. Uh, You know, in Matthew, he'll say, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. Uh, Whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you all the way, even unto the end of the world. Now, that's the longest great commission. In Mark, he's just going to say, preach the gospel to every creature. In Luke, he's going to talk about 
people getting saved and baptized. In John, he's going to say, as the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. So we're going to see the Great Commission mentioned in each one. And this is the very last time that we know of because right after he gives this commission, he ascends up into heaven. And he says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Remember in the book of John, he said, tarry ye in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power on high. Now, earlier in the chapter, he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was already given to the apostles, and I believe to all the believers, but the power of the Holy Spirit was given in Acts chapter 1. Now, what's interesting, or Acts chapter 2, when it talks about Pentecost, but what's interesting is you're going to find they had a 10-day prayer meeting, and so... Uh, you don't get God's power just because you want, you know, flip a switch and, you know, I'd just love to have it. But they, they were together for 10 days, 120 in the upper room. It says 120 and some women. So there had to be uh, more than that. And then the Holy Spirit of God uh, filled them for power to share the gospel. So the fullness of the Holy Spirit is for power to witness. The indwelling Holy Spirit is God's proof that you are his child and you are a new creature in Christ and have been born again. What I want us to see in this passage is not the Great Commission. It's not uh, the uh, interaction between the disciples and Jesus. And it is not his ascension. What I want us to see here is that in verse 10... It's going to tell us that they look steadfastly as Jesus went up into heaven. And, uh, and they were looking till they couldn't see him anymore. And then they're still looking. And so God sends an angel to tell the apostles, you were just given a commission. Why are you looking up into heaven? And then he says a remarkable thing, this same Jesus whom you've seen go into heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. In other words, don't worry about Jesus. He's okay. He's coming back again. But in the meantime, if I was you, I'd get about the Great Commission trying to share the gospel as much as you can in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. Now, that was mentioned in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you don't come, you, you have to go all the way to chapter 8 before you find the first Samaritan getting saved. You have to go to chapter 10 to see the first Gentile get saved. You have to go to chapter 13 before the first two missionaries were sent outside of the area. You've got to get to chapter 17 where it says, These that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. There was a persecution in chapter 4 to get them out of Jerusalem. There was a persecution in chapter 8 to get them into Samaria, into Judea, into Samaria, and that's where they stayed. Everyone wanted to stay in Jerusalem. It was a wonderful church, no doubt. 
But the commission was to scatter around and share the gospel to everyone. And yet still, that's not what I want to speak on tonight. I want to speak on what the angel said, this same Jesus. I want to talk about the same Jesus that we're looking for is the same Jesus that left. The same Jesus of the New Testament. The same Jesus of the Bible is the same Jesus we're we're looking forward to. Now, I say that because uh, many cults do not believe in the same Jesus. They use the same word, Jesus Christ. Uh, They'll use Jesus' name, but they're talking about a different Jesus. Uh, And not only that, liberal preachers would say the word Jesus, but they would not mean the same Jesus that's found in Scripture. Now, keep in mind, there were 500 men here watching when Jesus was ascending up. The Bible's going to tell us that in 1 Corinthians, how many men were there. Over 500, it says, that saw Jesus and was with him. And now Jesus is ascending up. And here's what's interesting. They are all witnesses of this same Jesus. So when Jesus comes back, they're going to say, that's the, that's the real, that's Jesus. That's him. And of course, they've been spending time with him already. This same Jesus. Now, I wanted to preach this message. I preached it probably 25, 30 years ago, I guess. Our church would be 38 years old. If you pardon me from preaching one that I preached 30 years ago. Uh, but I was talking, uh, went soul winning on uh, Tuesday and we had a good time talking to people, didn't get to lead anyone to Christ, found one lady who was saved and out of church and wanted to be back in church. I got her name and address. She happens to be on a bus route that we have, and so hopefully she'll get picked up on Sunday. But the last 10 minutes, we were talking with someone of the Jehovah Witness persuasion. Now, we didn't get anywhere. We're trying to convert him. He's trying to convert us. You know, it didn't go far. But the Jesus that he was talking about is not the Jesus of the Bible. And I want us to just share with us who is this same Jesus. According to the witness of the infallible, authoritative, inspired word of God, who is this Jesus that is coming back? Now, I'm going to take for granted we already know. But I think all of us all want to make sure that our theology is totally correct. And so I don't think I'm telling you anything new, but I think I'm giving you resources that maybe you can use as well. The first thing I want to say that it's described in the authoritative scriptures. And that's one thing as Bible believers, we believe that when we hold the Bible, we hold in our hand the very word of God. We believe that. Now, you know, I know people use different versions and all of that. But most people who use some different versions do not believe it's the Word of God. They believe it's as close to the Word of God as possible. I believe this is the very Word of God. And I believe we can live by it. We can preach it. We can proclaim it. We can teach it. I believe every jot and tittle of the Bible. I believe that every word is inspired by the Lord. Now, I know that's in the, uh, in the Hebrew and the Greek, but I also believe God aided in the translation process as, all, as well so that every language could have an authoritative message from God 
and hold in their hand a Bible in their language. The liberal says this book, this Bible is a good book. And that's what they'd say. That's why they don't put a lot of reference on it. They said, well, it's a good book. It's certainly not a perfect book. It's certainly uh, a book that man has messed with, you know. God may have given it perfectly, but if he did, man's long since messed it up. But what's interesting is this book not only says that God inspires it, God preserves it. Now, God knew that he not only had to inspire it, he also had to preserve it. Case in point, he gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai. Uh, How long did that last? Here's Moses coming down with the word of God. How long did it last? When he saw the people dancing around and everything, he got upset about that. What did he do with the very word of God? He threw it down, broke it into all sorts of pieces, right? But the good news is the Bible says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God always keeps the original. He doesn't trust us with it. And so he said to Moses, okay, now you got to go back up 40 more days, back up Mount Sinai, and there you got to, we got to get this again. And so word by word, God gives it to Moses again. And the second time he comes down and God says, by the way, don't destroy those. Uh, And so he comes down with the word of God. The liberal says it's a good book. The cults say, well, it's okay if it's interpreted correctly. And, and what they mean by that is as long as we interpret it, uh, then it's okay. Uh, or if you use our helps, our additional books that are on the same level as the revealed Word of God, the authoritative Word of God, it's, on the, it's another book, but it's on this same level, uh, except they don't agree with each other, but they don't have a problem with that. But they said, as long as you read these books and interpret it in light of what we believe, then, then you're okay. Or as I was talking to that gentleman of the Jehovah Witness persuasion, as long as you write your own translation, which is what the New World Translation is, only used by uh, Jehovah Witness, as long as you make your own translation, then that makes it the Word of God. No, The Word of God is what God has revealed to us. What it means to one, it means to all. The Word of God is of no private interpretation. The Bible says in Psalms 12, verse 6 and 7, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever." So not only is the Word of God pure and purified seven times, uh, he also says he will preserve them for all generations. Now, if the Word of God is inspired but not preserved, it doesn't help us because it has been messed up if it's not preserved, it was only inspired. If it's only preserved but never inspired, it doesn't help us because even though it's preserved, it's still not God's Word. No, it has to be inspired and it has to be preserved. And God does both of those, not man, not the scribes, uh, not the apostles. God oversaw that 
that the word of God was given and the word of God is still preserved and forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven and then not one jot or one tittle of the law shall pass till all be fulfilled. And the Bible says that the grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. I'm telling you, you can put lock, stock, faith in the Word of God. Believe what it says, every word of it. We don't change the Word to fit our life. We change our life to fit the Word. And so that's important to understand. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So not only is it inspired, that word inspiration means God breathed or from the mouth of God, but it's profitable to you and I for every single area of life that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so God's word is not just for head knowledge. It is applicable to our lives and it changes our lives. Now, realizing that we're using the authoritative source of the word of God, let's look at what is this same Jesus or who is this same Jesus? Well, This same Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, the only begotten of the Father. Now, the liberals will say Jesus was naturally begotten of Mary and someone else. I was an adult before I heard uh, that liberals believe that. And I thought, what? What Bible were they reading? Well, apparently, they didn't believe the one they had. Because the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. The cults believe that Jesus was one, either created being or one of the many begotten sons of God. So they would say he's one or the other. Either he was like uh, created like an angel was created or else he was one of the many sons of God, which uh, Mormons would believe that uh, God had many babies and Jesus was just one of them that progressed unto Godhood. In fact, they believe that Jesus is actually Adam who went up the stairway and eventually became the God of this world. So a little far-fetched, but that is what they believe. But the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. His only begotten son. Now, John three sixteen is about as clear as you can get. His only begotten son, eternally begotten. Never was a time in eternity past that Jesus was born. He was always the son of God, just as the Holy Spirit was always the Holy Spirit. Always God, the only begotten Son of God, not as many. I like what it says in Isaiah. It, it will say, uh, uh, God, God says, uh, there is none other. He said, I've looked around. I, I can't find any others. There, I am the Lord thy God. I'm the only one. There are no other gods. We also see that Jesus is God in flesh. Well, That's where a lot of cults disagree. And that's also where liberals disagree. 
The liberal says he was only a man with godly thoughts. He was not God in flesh. He was a man in flesh who had godly thoughts. Uh, so maybe like Buddha, or maybe like uh, Muhammad, or maybe like uh, uh, other people, religious leaders. But that's not this same Jesus, because our Jesus is God in flesh. The cults will say Jesus is not God. They'll say that outright. Now, let me say, when you witness to them, they don't want to say that outright. But that's what they believe. They'll say, we believe in Jesus. Well, you believe Jesus is God. And under their breath, they'll say, yeah, like a God. Like the New World Translation, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, where the Bible says the Word was God. He's God in flesh. The Bible says in John 1, 1, I just quoted it, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, people who don't know better will say, well, yeah, but in the Greek that doesn't have a definite article. I know that. And they'll say, well, when you don't have a definite article, you insert an indefinite article. And when there's not a the God, then you put a a God. No, no, you don't do that. If it doesn't have a definite article, you don't insert anything. It just says the word was God. The word was God. The emphasis is not on the article. The emphasis is on God. Jesus is God. Verse 14 of the same chapter says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Lest anyone say the Word is other than Jesus. Verse 14 clearly explains that in the beginning was the Word, and that Word was Jesus. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says, For in Him, Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now the fullness of the Godhead is in God the Father and in God the Holy Spirit, but it's in God the Son bodily because of the incarnation. Christ took our form to pay our price and to bear our sin. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 And this is a tremendous verse in the King James Bible. It's different in other versions, but it says in my Bible, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And some translations will say, he was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. But what the Bible says is, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. From any translation, you would say, well, that's Jesus. But from the Bible, it says God was manifest. Jesus is God. And that's what that verse is proving. And if you change that, you have taken the proof text of the Word of God 
that Jesus Christ is God in flesh. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles. We know that's talking about Jesus. Believed on in the world, received up in the glory. We just read about that in Acts chapter 1. But it says God, Jesus Christ is God in flesh. The Bible also says Jesus is sinless and virgin born. Sinless and virgin born. Now you say, well, of course we believe that. But you'd be surprised how across America things that churches and Christians always believed, they're changing doctrine. I read something maybe two weeks ago. It said 60% of Christians in America do not believe that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. Which means you believe Jesus is a liar. Because Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 4, 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye must be saved. He's, he's not an alternative. He's God's only hope for humanity was his son, Jesus Christ, our sinless sacrifice. The liberals say, well, he was good, but certainly not sinless. And he was born of natural parents. The cult will say, well, he was naturally born and he progressed to perfection. Or they'll say, well, he was a created being. And thus, as a created being, he certainly wasn't the sacrifice for all humanity. But the Bible says... Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. It's interesting, back in the 1950s, there were translations saying, A young lady shall be with child. Well, that's pretty normal. Most babies are born by young women. Usually not elderly women, but usually, you know, there's not many Sarahs. Abraham had one, but uh, usually you're young and you're having children. But the Messiah was coming, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Jesus is God with us. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says, For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, and I love this phrase, who knew no sin. That shows the sinless perfection of Jesus Christ. Remember, even in the Old Testament, if they were going to sacrifice a lamb, what did it have to be? It had to be a lamb without spot or blemish. So, of course, Jesus Christ had to be the sinless sacrifice. Behold, the Lamb of God uh, that was uh, before the foundation of the world that was, uh, oh, I forgot the word. Behold, the Lamb of God that was, what's the word? Slain, Slain before the salvation. Of, I didn't have that verse down there. 
But John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that is slain before the foundation of the world. So he had to be a sinless sacrifice to be called the Lamb of God. And of course he knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now the only way we're made have the righteousness of God is because Jesus took our sin, but he gave us his own righteousness, so we have a right standing before God the Father. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5 says, And ye know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So Jesus Christ, we know, was born of a virgin, and Jesus Christ was sinless. Now, why is the virgin birth all that important? Well, because as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Uh, the sin nature is passed down through the blood, the bloodline. And if Jesus Christ has the blood of humanity in him, he also has a depraved nature that comes with it. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not saying his mother was doing something illicit. He's just saying, I was born a sinner. Babies cry when nothing's wrong with them. They cry when you lay them down. They're just as happy as can be while you hold them. You lay them down, you walk away, they start crying again. Why? They want what they want. Oh, you have to teach them to be on a schedule. You've got to teach them all these things. Now, in him was no sin. So Jesus was sinless and he was virgin born. And then also the substitutionary atonement or the substitutionary death of Christ. A liberal will say Christ's death was only an illustration of God's love. What's that mean if he's not God in flesh? Someone died as an illustration of God. Then everyone who dies is an illustration of God's love. No, he is far, far more than just an illustration of God's love. Occultists will say Christ's death only took care of some sin, but was never meant to be the whole of man's redemption. That's what this gentleman I was talking to just yesterday out sharing the gospel was talking about. He's saying, uh, you, you are going about trying to tell people that if they just place faith in Jesus Christ and trust him to be their savior, that that does away with all their sin. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, that's right. And said, well, no, you've you, you got to work at it. You've you got to do this and this. And you've you got to keep working at it to attain that. Uh, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, yeah, but, but uh, where, where does it say that? And then he said, but in, in the real Bible, it won't say that. Which, which is his version, the real Bible. He said, your, your, yours has been corrupted by the Catholics. Well, it started getting written before there ever was a Catholic. So uh, I don't think so. The bodily resurrection. Some will say, well, let me see. I need to read some more verses for you. Uh, 
about redemption. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now, that's a good thing to understand that word once. It's a fancy word that means one time. Once. Well, what if I sin again? He, He paid for it once. Well, what if I mess up again? Well, he he paid for it all once. In other words, he took the sin of your entire life. You said, well, yeah, but I I may mess up, uh, you know, when when I'm older. Well, I'm confident you will. (laughs) I'm just confident as long as you're in this flesh, you're going to find ways to mess up. No matter how hard you work at it, Uh, You are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Yeah, I understand that. But Jesus, because he is God, knows everything. That's called foreknowledge. He doesn't determine everything we do, but he's smart enough to know everything we do because he is sovereign. He knows all things. Now, because he knows all of our sin, he paid for it. Before we were ever born, once, forever, for all, for all in the past and all in the future, and all who look to God by faith in Christ or in the Old Testament, look to God by faith that God will send a substitute and pay the price some way, somehow. They didn't know his name was Messiah. They didn't know his name was Jesus. But they knew and they believed that God would forgive if they placed faith in him. Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him, accounted unto him as righteousness. First uh, Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we ye are healed. Uh, so Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from... And there again, I like that word all. Cleanses us from all sin. Now, maybe two or three months ago, I had... uh, uh, fellow who came to our church in uh, in the foyer after the service, he was saying, now, uh, you're, you're talking about people getting saved by placing faith in Christ, but you're not mentioning that they have to live a holy life. Uh, I said, are you saying they need to live a holy life in order to have salvation? He said, well, yeah, of course. I said, well, how will you live a holy life apart from Jesus Christ? You, you understand that Jesus Christ did not die to make you holy on earth Although we should strive for that, Jesus Christ died to make us holy and present us faultless in the presence of the Father. Well, I believe, he, I, I believe he's going to make it. How are you doing on that? Could I talk to your wife a minute? and Maybe she could give me some insight. Because if you're a perfect holy man... And your wife agrees to it. 
then we'll let you teach a course maybe on how the rest of us men could attempt that. The truth is we are sinners saved by the grace of God. And that's why we're happy Christians because we know that we're not earning our way to heaven. What we do for Christ has nothing, has no merit with our salvation. The reason we live for Christ and try to keep his word is simply to be pleasing to the one who gave us all for us. That's what it's all about. Bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. I only have two more to share with you. The bodily resurrection. The liberals say Jesus rose spiritually in the hearts of the disciples or figuratively. That's what they mean by spiritually. Figurative. It was a manner of speech. Uh, like uh, put your finger in this hole, put your hand in that. Was that a manner of speech? What was that? The cults say, well, Jesus rose another step closer in his progression to Godhood. My wife and I just finished our 14-week discipleship course last week with a couple who were saved out of Mormonism. And it was interesting, the insight they've given us about the life that they had being raised up in that persuasion, that cult. Or... Some will say Jesus rose mystically as a spirit, but not bodily. That's what other cults will say. What does the Word of God say? Luke chapter 24, verse 39 and 40 says, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. No figurative Jesus will say, handle me. And then he says, for spirit hath not flesh and bones. They say he arose spiritually. Well, he is spiritual because he's God in flesh, but he can be handled. Touch me, handle me. It is I myself. And when he have thus spoken, he showed him his hands and his feet. You remember that uh, there was some bread and fish and Jesus ate that after the resurrection? That gives us hope in heaven, right? Get to eat, maybe never gain weight. Try all the foods we never tried before. First John chapter 1 verse 1 says, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Wow. John here is saying, I'm not telling you something I think. I've seen Jesus. I've held Jesus. I've hugged Jesus. I've leaned on Jesus. And our hands have handled him. And then the one we will honor in heaven Philippians chapter 2 verse 10 says that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the heaven, uh, under the earth. At the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. Now praise God those believers will bow because that's our Savior. We love him. Others will bow because they're forced to acknowledge him. But it's too late. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Wonderful. That's God and Messiah. Christ is a term meaning the anointed one, the same as Messiah. He is God that was promised, God showing up, God in flesh that was promised, Lord and Christ. Acts chapter 1 verse 11, which we started by reading, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And these witnesses will attest to the fact that indeed it was the same Jesus. Let me end with two more passages. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now I read verse 1, but let's read 1 through 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we seen it, we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. In other words, Jesus is that source of eternal life for everyone who believes. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And let me end with one more passage. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 19. And I love what Peter says and how he says it and how the Holy Spirit gave him the words to say it. For we have not followed, followed cunningly devised fables. And that's what unbelievers believe Christianity is. It's just fables. But it's interesting that 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit gave him a verse to counter that argument. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus Christ was transfigured in their midst. And they see Christ in all of his glory. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. And here's what Peter says. We have also a more sure word, a prophecy. Wait, wait a minute. More sure than watching Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now people, that's what the Bible is it's the more sure word of prophecy. How, how is that more sure? On the Mount of Transfiguration, 
There was only Peter, James, and John who viewed it. And everyone's got to take their word for it. But you and I have the word of God. We don't have to take man's word for it. This was given us by God himself. More sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Folks, one of these, same, one of these days, this same Jesus is coming back for his children. This same Jesus. Someone asked a famous missionary, I think it was Hudson Taylor. No, it was David Livingston. And uh, they said, how could you go through Africa and endure all you endured and risk yourself. And you know, the last years of his life, one of his arms was useless because it got mauled by a lion. He said, how could you do that? And he said, because I had the word of a gentleman, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Folks, you and I have the word of a gentleman that he's coming back again. And with all that's going in the world, it could be soon. And so let's always be looking for the same Jesus. Let's make sure we make big deal of correct doctrine that we know thus saith the Lord. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I hope God will speak to your heart. I don't think I told anyone anything new this evening. I know almost every single person here, I know you're trusting in this same Jesus. But I want us to understand that as we talk to other people who profess perhaps to be a Christian or profess to some other uh, belief system, that when they say Jesus, they're not talking about the same person. They're not meaning the same person. And I want us to be rooted and grounded in the truth. Heavenly Father, I pray your word will always find a home in our heart. And we thank you, dear Father, based on the authority of Scripture that the very Jesus of the New Testament is the same Jesus we believe in today and the same Jesus that is coming back for us one day or will meet him in death. But Heavenly Father, we are so looking forward to seeing your Son, our Savior, the only begotten, full of truth and grace and Lord, it's with great expectation we await your Son. Thank you for the clarity of your word and the authority of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Pianos playing with heads bowed. Let God speak to your heart.
If you're watching online and have never trusted Christ as your Savior, today is the day of salvation. I hope that even today you would invite Christ in your life and let him know you trust him as your Savior and ask him to forgive you and take you to heaven when you die. Trust him as your Lord and Savior. God bless you. Such a joy to have each one of you here with us and hope you'll remember some of the announcements, especially this Saturday as we have uh, our all-church outreach. Bus uh, uh, workers will be going out, Sunday school teachers. Uh, you can be a silent partner, go out soul winning. And so I hope you'll meet us at 10 o'clock for a wonderful breakfast and then we'll head out. We're only gone out about an hour or so. It's not long but it'd be a very enjoyable time. You're dismissed. God bless you.